0: Hello and welcome back to Cookware Doctor, the podcast that talks about food, cooking, and most importantly, the cookware and kitchen tools that make the food itself. I am your host, Sarah Dahman, the only known female coppersmith building, restoring, and designing copper cookware in America. Welcome to the place where I just wax on and on and on about the geeky details that come into cookware making, cookware using, cookware building. And today, we're going to be talking about, in a roundabout way, the last one, cookware building. Now, in the very beginning of this journey for me, I did not plan to learn how to build the cookware that I build now myself. My goal was to design what I thought was American, well, what I knew from research was American-made designs that had been lost to posterity. And what you would have found in a traditional 1800s pioneer kitchen in America. So different kinds of cast iron skillets, pottery and crocks in the actual designs from the old time and copper cookware. I did not really think beyond that I wanted to get it made and I would sell it. My expertise at the time had been in customer service uh, with running my own wedding planning business for 10 years and in advertising and marketing. I had never been in retail, I had never built anything other than, you know, an Ikea box of furniture. I knew nothing about mechanics and about tools. I had used a hammer under duress when I needed to hang a picture frame. And I never took a shop class in my entire life. It was part of my upbringing, we didn't, my, my parents were not handy in that way. And neither was my husband, so he still isn't. He's actually become extremely handy now. I have to give him credit, both because he lives with me and I have a ton of tools, way more than him, but also his job has transformed from a white-collar sit at a desk to physically going in basements and watching, you know, figuring out how to make sure that the walls don't fall in. So we both have made this tremendous transition from white-collar positions to what used to be considered blue-collar, but maybe still are, but are are... much more handy and and give us much more hands on experiences and I um now obviously am a full-time coppersmith. I say that with air quotes you can't see because I also am a full-time writer, novelist, and screenwriter, and I also am a mom and a wife and a farmer, so I guess like I'm full time on all of those. it's just I don't spend. 40 hours every week on them. They just, they're always there full time. And I want to talk a little bit about Lost Trades and Lost Arts. This question has come up recently with a couple interviews I've done with WPR here in Wisconsin and in other interviews. And I want to make two plugs today and start a conversation amongst yourselves, with your family, with your friends about the idea that you, we, as a culture and a community, have an interesting view on learning hands-on trades, having hand knowledge. I like to call it that. It's hand knowledge. Your hands have the knowledge to build something that no one can take away from you. And how that perception of these trades is essentially killing them. And I want to kind of backtrack that to when I became a totally in a, you know, unplanned apprentice to Bob Bartlemy of Backwoods Tin and Copper here in West Bend, Wisconsin. I did not mean to become an apprentice. While I was in the process of building my copper business, I um, thought, well, I should do some more research on what it was like back in the 17 and 1800s, the time period of my historical novels I was writing, the inspirational time period, all of that. Well, how did they actually build it back then? I should do some, some, some hands-on research, just go pop into a local shop, see how it used to be done just for my own peace of mind. So I have some, you know, visuals on how it used to be. It'll make my book so much richer. And... So I showed up at Bob's house at his shop, and he spent several hours showing me how a tin mug from the 1700s was made, you know, play by play, by hand, using all the original ma- mach- machinery. It was amazing. And as I left, he was like, well, you, you know, next, next time you come, you should make a cup. And I was like, I guess I could. I mean, that would probably be good research. That would be great. So I came back, and it took me like three times longer than it took him to make a cup. And then after I finished that, he said, well, next time you come, maybe you should make something out of copper. And I was like, well, psh, yeah, that was my main goal, really, because tin to me was secondary. I wanted to learn copper. That was part of my cookware line. That was what I was building. And he patiently, I think it took me two or three days to build one piece of copper, which is funny looking back now because now it doesn't take me anywhere near that long. But I um, i had no—I'd never used the tools. And I remember thinking as I was working with him and he was showing me everything, I was thinking, one, no way am I ever going to figure this out. My hands don't do this. And I'm never going to learn the names of the tools, the names of the hammers, get a feel for the way that the metal works. I, it, there's so much math. It was so overwhelming. But I was hooked and I didn't mean to be, but Bob was very encouraging that I should come and learn and at my leisure. And I was like, well, well he's opened that door. So I started going once, twice, sometimes three times a week for years and I did the math the other day and I was like I think I'm closing in on seven years of working with Bob which is insane I remember thinking like if I make this five years that's a that's huge I'm now seven years into what could be considered a traditional apprenticeship now I'm lucky in that there is a master tinsmith 18 minutes from my door that is total serendipity and luck right I'm also lucky in that my job at the time when I started this was still, I was still wedding planning and I was writing and I was starting a cookware business. So I had extreme flexibility with my, my, my days. I had three young children. I had a newborn when I started doing this a newborn and two younger children under the age of five. So I had three kids under the age of five when I started this apprenticeship and I, you know, kind of fell into it, Bob started calling me his apprentice and I guess I was like, I guess I am. And that has been how it's gone from there. And I still learn every time I go now, I'm thankfully a lot better help for him than I was in the beginning when I didn't know what I was doing. But now that I'm in a position where I would like to pass on the trade and there's a piece of panic in me going, oh my gosh, I'm the youngest person that I can find who's doing this. No one else is younger than me that I know of that is picking up this trade. And anyone who might be like by watching my YouTube videos, they're usually older than me or they're nowhere close to me. So I can't actually help them other than post videos. And there's also this very interesting shift, even in the years that I've been an apprentice, where people who want to come and work with me want to get paid for their time. And I think that that is a very odd way of looking at this. And the best thing I can... There's two ways you can discuss this. One is, yes, someone would be coming into the shop and helping me. But they'd also be learning a trade that they can take with them. So they're gaining knowledge. I'm going to actually have to slow my process down to teach them all of the things. And yes, over time, I will have help. But then they will be able to go off and start their own business, right? Once they have that hand knowledge, which is a goal of mine. I want people to pick this up and carry on that torch. But every time I've brought someone in, they want to get paid for their time. So they want a trade and they want to get paid to learn the trade. Now, I don't know if that's how it is for other trades, like being a, becoming an electrician or a plumber, maybe your your apprenticeships or your journeyman times, like you do get paid for your time. But I think that assumes that you have some working knowledge walking in. Everybody who walks in my door knows zero. Nothing. They're what I was. They use a hammer under duress. So I ask... When you go to college, do you pay the professors to teach you your business, your trade? Or do you pay the professors? You pay the professors to learn a trade that you can take with you. And that's what an apprenticeship still is in my point of view. And I feel like that has been lost in translation in the trades. So now people are thinking, well, I want to learn this, but I'll be helping you. So you should pay me as opposed to I'm going to learn something that I can take with me and thank you so much for your time i'll work for free or you know you you know i'll pay you so um i am tossing this out there it's kind of a weird topic it doesn't really have to do with cookware but it does have to do with the building of it and the learning the trade of it that i like i said if if i can't pass this on hand to hand it might die you know again or even worse than it has already because even watching the the convergence you know when i go to the convergence and by the way everybody is welcome to the convergence this is an event that happens in june this year it's june i believe 24th 25th 26th in um ohio at solder village i have the information on my blog i also have a youtube video out there on house copper youtube channel where you can access all the information Registration is like twenty five bucks maybe or fifteen, and so you just gotta get yourself to Ohio and it's inexpensive to be there and um and it's two days of tool swapping, pattern swapping, hands on workshops and demonstrations from a whole bunch of tinsmiths who are in their sixties seventies, eighties who have pieced together this trade by apprenticing themselves to older people. They pay those older people or they help for free to learn the trade. But again, they're much older than me, double my age or more. And as they die off, no one else is coming up to learn the trade. So I feel it's kind of the time to have that conversation about what does it mean to pass on knowledge? How do we save the trade of cookware building from dying and make sure that the mentality coming into it is productive? and supportive and logical. So anyway, I'm just putting this out there on the podcast. I know this is not about cookware per se. I hope that's all right. I just kind of am doing food for thought and I hope that this becomes a roundtable discussion at your own uh, kitchen counters. And I would love to hear what everybody thinks if you have an opinion one way or another. I mean, discussion is always productive. So thank you so much for letting me discuss this with you one-sidedly I know but thank you and remember that um, you can submit your own questions on housecopper.com if you go to podcast and I will certainly answer them on the air here and you can find me Facebook Instagram under housecopper or check out that YouTube channel for some visuals and answers on cookware building which I learned at my apprenticeship so till next time cook well and cook With meaning.